Tov, Erev Tov, we are uh, beginning the introduction of the Rambam. Yesterday we did the first two Pesukim, as well as some other tangents of the Rambam himself about these Pesukim. Now it's time to begin the words of the Rambam. So we are in the Mishnah Torah, in the first sentence of the introduction. Kol HaMitzvot All of the mitzvot that were given to Moshe on Har Sinai, were given with their perush, with their explanation. I'll read the footnotes after we read. Like it says, that it was, I have given you the tablets of stone, the Torah and the mitzvah. That's a pasuk and Sefer Shmot. Torah, our rabbis tell us Torah, that's the written Torah. And the mitzvah, that's its commentary. We're on the top of page Laman Vav, the next page. And we have been commanded to obey the Torah, to, to observe the Torah, in the way that the mitzvah requires from us. And this mitzvah that we are commanded to obey mitzvot in accordance with is what we call Torah Shabal Peh. This is the foundation of the whole system of halakha, is that we have a written Torah and we have an oral Torah. And the written Torah is only explained properly through the oral Torah that was given to us on Har Sinai as well. We will discuss soon, in the coming days, the difference between the oral law as a concept and what we practically have as a Mishnah, as a Talmud. Those books are the best recreations of the oral law possible. But the oral law means that when the Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu al-Har Sinai, the Torah was given, the mitzvot were given with their explanations. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't just throw some vague pasuk out there and said, Rabbis, you go interpret this how you want. You go break your heads and figure it out. Interpretations. We always hear this word. These are not interpretations. These are the exact commentary given to Moshe Rabbeinu by the creator, by the author of the Torah himself. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives the Torah to Moshe, he also gives him all of the details that come along with that mitzvah. This is a foundation of halakha. This is a foundation of Judaism. If someone cannot accept this premise, then they may be biologically part of the Jewish people, but they are most definitely not part of the students of the Chachamim who consider the system of halakha as we know it, not man-made inventions, not people's interpretations. But these are divine laws explained by the same divine mouth who gave them to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. Let's look here, let's turn back a page and look at footnote Dalit. This is the first real footnote of Rabbi Yosef Kapach that we're going to be doing, uh, which involves other sources and analyzing texts. If you look in Dalit, it says, Katav Ein Bet Heimen. This is an acronym for a book. Let's go, I'll show you how you find it. You're going to go a few pages before to the list of all the rabbis that Rabbi Yosef Kapak mentions. You're going to see Aleph, Bed, Gimel, Hey. It's literally two pages before where you're at in the book right now. And you're going to look for the letter Ayn. So Ayn is going to be one page before. Ayn. And you want to go down one entry 
two entries. Ein Bet Hey Mem stands for Avodat HaMelech. The service of the king. This book was written by Rabbi Menachem Krakowski or Karkovsky. I don't know how you pronounce that properly. The book of Avodat HaMelech by Rabbi Menachem Krakowski who lived in, was born in Russia. He died in Lithuania. In my research of him, he was born in 1870 and died in 1929 to give you a little bit of a framework of when he lived. And some notable facts about him. He was a student of the Nitziv. So among other great rabbis he studied from, he studied by the Nitziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Huda Berlin. If you want to understand context of that, the Nitziv is the rabbi also of Rav Kook in Yeshivat Volodzhin. And he was Mikorav, he was very close to Rabbi Chaim of Brisk. Give me one moment, my allergies are killing me. So now back to where we are in the Mishneh Torah. In footnote Dalid in the Hagdama. Katab Avodat Hamedech. Rabbi Menachem Karkovsky in the Avodat Hamedech writes Rabbenu Atzmo Behagdamator Pirush Mishnayot. Rabbenu Harambam himself in his introduction to Pirush Mishnayot. Get used to that acronym because you're going to see it a lot. Tzien Mekor Hadvarim, Letorat Kohanim, Parashat Behar. He gave a source for this idea. The Rambam himself sourced this concept of the Torah was given with his commentary to the Torah Kohanim and Parashat Behar. Af kol ha-mitzvot ne'emru kelalehen u-pratehen v'digdukehen mahar Sinai. And the quote from the Torah Kohanim is that all of the mitzvot were given in their generalities and in their specifics as well as their details mahar Sinai on Mount Sinai. Rabbeinu Sham and Rabbeinu HaRambam explains there in his commentary to the Mishnah Omram kelaloteha opirtoteha hainenim shalenu lomdam bechlalu bifrat vishar yudgimen midot. What does it mean its generalities and its specifics? If you remember in Shacharit and Tefillah, there's a paragraph right before we begin Hodu. Rabbi Shemel says that these are the ways, the 13 ways in which the Torah is studied, is expounded upon. All of those ways where we study things from generalities, from specifics, from various rules, all of those things are part of the Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. The Gaon, the Gaon, Rabbeinu and the Yahu, who is that? The Gaon of Vilna. Hosif Letzayen, he included also a source, the Torah at Kohanim Parashat Tzav. The Torah at Kohanim Parashat Tzav. Meaning it includes everything in the Torah. That all of the details of the Torah, the generalities, the specifics, and the details were given to Moshe Rabbeinu on Mount Sinai. And when it expounds there, when it says these are the laws, these are the statutes, these are all the things that we learn out from the laws. Meaning it includes all of that as well. If you want to find more sources to the fact that the Torah was given on Mount Sinai with all of its details, you can look in the following sources. Birushalmi in the second chapter of Pe'ah, Devarim Hadvarim Mikram Mishnah Talmud V'Agadah, and if you look in page 19 
in the Babylonian Talmud of Megillah, Tractate Megillah, on page bet, and includes also this conversation as well. So, again, Rabbeinu HaRambam does not give sources. When he writes his Mishnah Torah, doesn't give us sources. And therefore, Rabbi Yosef Kapach is doing his best to give us sources, and he's showing you there are a number of different sources, aside from that, which the Avodat HaMelech shows, that the Rambam himself gave a source for this concept. There are others, like the Gona Vilna, who shows there are other places where this uh, idea is alluded to as well, that the whole Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. While this is true, there's a little bit of a debate as to how much of the Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu on Mount Sinai. So let's look at the next paragraph. Vekatav Kuf Reishmem. Kuf Reishmem, you're going to want to look that up. So you want to turn uh, again to the index of rabbis, to the letter Kuf. And you're going to find Kuf. The last entry of Kuf is Kuf Reishmem, Kiryat Melech. The, the, Kiryat, the city of the king. Who's that? Harav Siach Kanievsky. That's uh, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. So, back to our Hagdama. He writes here, In, Kiryat Melech writes that in the Talmud, in Masechet Zvachim, on page 115b, There's an argument between Rabbi Shmael and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Shmael is of the opinion that the generalities, the general mitzvot of the Torah were given in Har Sinai, and the individual mitzvot were given in the Ohel Moed, in the Tent of Meaning. Rabbi Akiva holds Both of them, the generalities and the specifics were given in Har Sinai. And Rabbeinu HaRambam ruled Rabbi Akiva Mechabro like Rabbi Akiva, the author. Mashmah, so it seems like, let's skip two lines, the Svira like Rabbi Akiva, the Rambam rules like Rabbi Akiva. Vayan Shira Shirim Rabba, Perik Bet, Yud Alef, and look at Shira Shirim, the Midrash Rabba there. Af al Pish Nitna Bissinai, even though the Torah was given on Har Sinai, the Jewish people were not punished for violating the Torah until it was later explained at the Tent of Meeting in the Oel Moed. So there seem to be two phases of Kabbalah Torah. And with saying that part of the Torah, the generalities were given on Har Sinai, and the specifics were given in the Tent of Meeting, whereas this other opinion of the opinion of Rabbi Akiva says that all happened in Har Sinai, and the Midrash and Shir Shirim says, well, a little bit of a compromise perhaps, that was all given in Har Sinai, but the Jewish people were not liable for violating the Torah until they came to, uh, until the Torah was explained in the Ohel Moed. Veniran, it appears, Says Rav Kapach, You don't have to say that the Rambam rules like Rabbi Akiva. Because according to Rabbeinu HaRambam, Rabbi Shmael Talmid Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Shmael is the student of Rabbi Akiva. Like he's going to write later on. And if you look in the Rambam's commentary on the Perush Mishnayot, he writes there that Rabbi Ishmael is a student of Rabbi Akiva. But not just the fact that Rabbi Ishmael is a student of Rabbi Akiva. 
וגדולה מזו, greater than this, דלדעת רבנו אין לומר בכיוצא בזה הלכה כפלוני. In such a circumstance, the Rambam would never say the הלכה follows רבי עקיבא, or הלכה follows רבי שמר. Why? כיוון שאין בתוצאת המחלוקת הלכה למעשה. Because this argument about how much of the Torah was given on Mount Sinai, how much of it was given at the Ohel Moed, has no practical ramification in halakha. And there's no reason to rule that way. Okay, that's more uh, sources. This is an important point. There are two points here. First off, you see something amazing, which is Rabbi Ishmael argues with his rabbi. And our Chachamim record both sides of that argument. Again, this is a relationship that is of a rabbi and a student who are both able to debate each other. The second, though, the second and perhaps one that is extremely important is that not all matters have to be decided. Rabbeinu HaRambam would not choose to rule like Rabbi Akiva or rule like Rabbi Ishmael in a situation where there is no nafkamina, there is no practical ramif- uh, consequence to this argument. So often, people give opinions where no opinions are necessary. This one says this, this one says that. Practically, whatever does it make, it doesn't make a difference. So why do you have to stick your head inside? And says Rav Kapach, I don't think that the Rambam is ruling like one or the other, just practically, whether the mitzvot were given here, mitzvot were given there. At the end of the day, all of the mitzvot were given to the Jewish people, and they are obligated in all of them. Let's look on page Zaman Vav. On page Zaman Vav, we have another footnote, which is about the word Pirusha, the commentary to the Torah. Let's do this together. Brachot Hey Aleph. If you go to Talmud Bavli and you look up Tracted Brachot, page 5a, Amar Shimon ben Nakish. Shimon ben Nakish says, My dichtiv, what does it say? What does it mean when it says, Vetnalachat Luchot, that I will give you the Luchot? Luchot, the tablets, Elo Aseret Adibot. These are the Ten Commandments. Torah, Zomikra. This is the Mikra. We should use this word more often, Mikra. We use Torah to mean every Jewish book that was ever written. Mikra is the Chumash. Hamitzvah, Zomishna. Asher Katavti, that which I wrote. Elu Nevi'im Uktuvim. These are the books of the prophets and the writings. Lehorotam, to teach them, Zo Gemara. This is the Gemara. Melamed, it teaches you, Shekulam Nitnu Moshe Misinai. These were all given to Moshe Rabbeinu on Hal Sinai. Vayen Megillah Chavtet Bet, and go look in the Talmud, Masech Megillah, page 29b. Vayen Kaf Hei Mem. What is that? Kaf Hei Mem. Let's go back to the index of the rabbis. I want to show you how to use this index properly. And you're going to find there, in the letter Kaf, it's the second entry under Kaf. It says, Keter HaMelech, the crown of the king. It's Harav Katriel Aharon Notan. I don't know how to pronounce that one either. I couldn't find much about Rabbi Katriel Aharon on the internet. What I did find is he was the rabbi for a period of time of Augustov in Poland. That he lived somewhere in the 1800s to the 1900s. That was his, uh, more or less, in that area. He was the son-in-law of the famous Rabbi Meir Itchel Panovitcher. So, from the city of Panovitch, you may have heard of the yeshiva of Panovitch. Uh, he was in the last 200 years in Ashkenaz. So, Rav Kapach quotes him, Ayen Kedar HaMelech, look in this book, Kedar HaMelech, Sherich Bepilpulim Drushim, that he wrote a lot about all kinds of different pilpulim that are meant to explain this concept. 
ועיין קריאת מלך, אני לא כגן קריאת מלך, קניאבסקי. במגילת תענית, סוף פרק ד', שהיו צידוקים אומרים. The צידוקים would say, the Sadducees, who are those who argued with the פירושים, the Pharisees. עין תחת עין, it says in the Torah, eye for an eye. אמרו להם חכמים, וחכמים said, והלא כתיב, וזה not written, התורה והמצווה אשר כתבתי לאור אותה. Meaning, the rabbis used this פסוק, which taught that there is a written law and an oral law, as a rebuttal to the צידוקים. To show that we don't accept just the written law, we accept that this written law was given to Moshe Rabbeinu with its perush, with its oral law. Let's do one more footnote. That's footnote Vav. This goes on the word Alpiya Mitzvah. Vitzivanu la'asot ha Torah Alpiya Mitzvah, which the Rambam said that we are commanded to observe the Torah in the way that the Mitzvah, the oral law, dictates to us to, to observe the Mitzvah. Klomar says Rav Kapach in footnote Vav, She'en anu reshaim leva'er ha-mitzvot kifi anire lanu. We have no permission to explain, to interpret the Mitzvot however we feel. Ela rather mish'ubadim anu, we are uh, uh, submissive. We are bound to the perush kibel Moshe Misinai to the commentary, which the explanations which Moshe received on Har Sinai. I think this is an important understanding. The Judaism is not a democracy. Judaism requires from us a certain level of obedience. Obedience to who? To the Torah Shabbat Peh. We sometimes read the Chumash. Well, how does it mean that? Well, the rabbis, the rabbis, the rabbis. The rabbis are not pulling things out of their hat. Chachmei Israel in the Talmud are teaching us their recollection of Moshe Rabbeinu's explanations of the Torah and Sinai. And we are Mishubadim. We are required. We are bound to their interpretation of the Torah Mitzvot. Remember we read uh, recently from Rabbi Yosef Albon, the Sefer Karim. He spoke about the ability for Chachamim to differ in different in matters that don't have to do with Halakha. Uh, explain the Torah this way, explain the Torah that way. But when it comes to Halakha, when it comes to observance of Halakha, you have an obligation, an obligation, to understand the Torah and to observe the Torah in the way that Chachamim Israel received the Torah on Har Sinai. Velo, not only that, אלא שהרבה מצוות נעלמת ממנו הגדרתה ומהותה. There are many מצוות which are vague in the Torah. They don't include with them הגדרתה, their definitions, ומהותה, their essence. אלמלא תורה שבעל פה. Unless we have a Torah שבעל פה, you don't know what to do with these מצוות. וכמו שכתב רבנו סעדיה גאון, like רב סעדיה גאון writes, באמונות ודעות, in his book, אמונות ודעות, המאמר השלישי, פרק ג', in the third essay, chapter 3, וכתב קריאת מלך, רבי קניאבסקי רייץ, עיין סנהדרין פרק ח' ב', ופירושו מדברי סופרים, ועיין ירושלמי עבודה זרה פרק ב', הלכה ז'. He's telling you to go look at these other sources that reiterate this point. We need a Torah שבעל פה. Not only do we need a Torah שבעל פה, we are required to observe these מצוות in the way of the Torah שבעל פה. The way the Torah שבעל פה explains to us to do this. He mentions Rav Sa'ad Ha'on's Emunot V'deot. And I believe that this chapter that he's referring to is too good of a chapter to skip it and to say it's a tangent, it's not a tangent. It's important to understand this in order to understand why on earth we even need uh, divine messengers to tell us what HaKadosh Baruch Hu meant. Why couldn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Why don't we just follow the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on its own? So I added 
to tonight's shiur, a PDF in the Google Classroom. Uh, you'll find it in the announcement. You'll also find it in the classwork section under Rambam, and it will say chapter 3-3. In this essay, in section 2, in chapter 2, Rav Gaon mentions there are two kinds of mitzvot. Well, let's read. Because I said, devarim elu, these words, b'shnei chelkei mitzvot, the two types of mitzvot, v'hem ha-sikhliyot v'ashma'iyot, the logical mitzvot, those you could infer logically, I'm oversimplifying this concept, v'ashma'iyot, and those which we heard from the divine, probably because you would need the divine to tell you that this is a mitzvah. You can imagine, there's a difference between the mitzvah of do not steal, do not murder, do not take someone else's wife, to the mitzvah of you should use a red cow to purify yourself, or you should bring fruits to the Ben Migdash three times a year. In this book, like many other of the books of Chachmei uh, Svarad, you find Hebrew on the right side, and Judeo-Arabic on the left side. So this fits in very well to the conversation we had last night about Arabic, and this is the translation of Rabbi Yosef Kapach. So once I already split the mitzvot into two categories, if I could say logical mitzvot and divine mitzvot, and this is very much going to play into this conversation about whether morality is objective or subjective, there's, there's two types of moralities in the Torah. He said, I felt the need to explain to you what the need is in Hashem sending messengers and prophets. I heard people, Omrim, say, We don't need any human beings involved in our Torah. And it's enough. We just know what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, and we don't need people to get involved in our religion. By the way, this sentiment often comes from those who came from man-made religions to the Jewish people. I've experienced a lot in our Bedin process people who are so uh, upset at a religion that they may have followed in the past, that was given by man, that was invented by man, then when it comes to the Torah, it's very difficult to see the difference between a Torah that is divine, with divine explanations taught to us by human beings, then looking at it as, this is a perfectly divine Torah, with human beings who interfered and made it a human Torah. So he said, I, I sat down, to analyze this matter truthfully. And I saw, I perceived, that if the truth was the way they were saying it, then a Kadosh Baruch Hu, who for sure understands the world better than us, wouldn't send us messengers. Meaning, if you're right that we don't need prophets, or we don't need Chachamim, if you're right, so a Kadosh Baruch Hu wouldn't send us prophets. Because a Kadosh Baruch Hu does nothing that is redundant. Hakadosh Baruch does nothing which is useless. This is an important rule. When you see Hakadosh Baruch do something, when the Torah says something, or the Torah omits something, there's always a reason. The Torah doesn't just say things. Hakadosh Baruch doesn't just do things unless there's a reason for those things to be done. biyun, and I analyze this in depth. Umatzati, and I found that people have a very great need for messengers from Hakadosh Baruch and not only because how else are they going to hear the divine mitzvot if Hashem doesn't explain it to them. 
אלא בגלל המצוות השכליות. But the divine messengers help us in understanding even the logical מצוות. The מצוות which we would understand objectively from the Torah, without a Torah. כי עשייתן לא תיתכן אלא על ידי השליחים שיגדירו אותן לבני אדם. says רבנו סעדי הגאון, that we would not know how to properly execute these מצוות if it wasn't for HaKadosh Baruch Hu sending us messengers explaining us how to do them. So for example, our intellect teaches us, logically we understand, that we have to give thanks to Hashem for the good He does for us. But there are no definitions, there are no limits in our intellect of how much do we pray. Not what do we say? Not in what time of day we should pray or what time of year we should pray. Not in the content of what we should say. Yeah, we all know, give thanks to Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. I hear such uh, clouds. Thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for what? How do you say thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? When do you say thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? What time of day do you pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? What words do you use? What concepts do you invoke? What can you ask from HaKadosh Baruch Hu? What can you not ask from HaKadosh Baruch Hu? L'fichach, and therefore, Hutzrachnu l'shlichim, we were, we needed messengers. Shigbiluhu ukrauhu tefillah. That limited it, that created what we know to be tefillah. And they established set times for prayer, and a set uh, formula for prayer, a nosach, and a, a certain uh, status of prayer, and a certain place. Let's look at those two footnotes of 58 and 59. Uh, 58, meaning we stand up, when we stand up, when we sit, how we say the tefillah, that's established by our chachamim. 59. In front of the Aaron. Two lines down. Nonetheless, I didn't fully understand Rav Sadia Gaon's uh, his overall understanding of Tefillah. I didn't understand it well. It seems from just the basic words that he's saying, that also the times of Tefillah, the, the text of the Tefillah, standing up during Tefillah, and all the things included there, it's as if they're all Deoraita, they're all from the Torah, they're all biblical in origin. Because they were said by divine messengers, by the one who sent them. Hadat, if we just reach those conclusions logically, we would have no use for the messengers. If this was something logical, it was something our Chachamim invented, who cares if it came from a messenger? If it came from a messenger, it must mean that it's divine. Says Rav Kapach, I'm not sure if Rav Sadia Gaon is saying that even the time in which we pray is biblical. The way we stand in Amidah, is that biblical? The way we say Shema Yisrael, is that biblical? He said, I didn't understand this completely. I had a few theories, but I have a... If Rabbi Yosef Kapach didn't understand, I'm going to tell you that I understand. Back on top. Or for example, our logic has already told us to distance anything that is immoral, that is sexually immoral. But... Even though the Torah, we understand without a Torah, hey, we should stay away from forbidden relationships. But we don't have a logical way to understand, so what is the proper way to get into a relationship? 
How do we marry a woman? Do you do that only with words? Hey, we're married. Let's go sail to the sunset. Do we do that with money? Do we do it with her consent? Is it dependent on her father's consent? Do we need two witnesses? Do we need ten witnesses? Do we need the whole city to see that we got married? What makes a person married? And therefore, our Hashnichim, uh, our messenger said, We need Mohav. There has to be a financial transaction that happens there. In the olden days, that was money. Today, it's a ring. Ushtar, a contract, a ktuba. There have to be two witnesses. Another example, our intellect has told us, stay away from stealing things. But we don't necessarily have an objective way of understanding. I know I can't steal, but how do I make something mine? How do I take something from someone else in a way that it becomes mine? Legally, I go to a store. How does it become mine? If I work for money, does that make the money mine? If I am a merchant and I sell things from the money, does that make that money mine? If I inherit money, somebody passes away, uncle, uh, whoever they are, they write in their will, I want the money to go to you. Does that mean that I own the money now? What if his kids want the money? But he said, you should give it to me. Does that money belong to me or does it belong to them? What about taking things that are in no man's land, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the ocean, you find something floating in the ocean, does it belong to someone? At which point does the transaction take place? In halakha, this is very important. You go to the store. At which point when you go to the store, do you own the object? Is it when you take it off the shelf and put it in your cart? Is it when you put it on the conveyor belt? Is it when you swipe your card? Is it when you bag the item? Is it when you leave the store? Is it when you take it home? At which point is the item yours? Or is it when I move the object? which in Halakha we discuss, I own it because I can take it. The fact they let me walk out of the store with it makes it mine. So what would be a good example of that? If you buy something on a credit card, let's say the money didn't leave your account yet, but you now have the object, they let you walk away with it. According to the law, do you own that object yet? Or because they didn't get paid yet till the end of the day or till the next business day, it doesn't belong to you till the next day. Maybe the fact that they let you leave with it tells you that you own it. Maybe all I have to do is just say some words and I'll be able to walk away with it. Said you can sit on every idea in the world and have many such doubts because there's it's an endless amount of conversation to have. Therefore, the messengers came. They came and gave us in every matter clear halachot. They cut. They, they gave us decisive rulings. For example, you see someone break someone else's property. They break someone else's car. They break someone else's store. They burn someone's house. They attack someone. Whatever it is they do. We know that we should punish this person. There should be some consequence for destroying someone else's property. But our mind doesn't tell us, okay, so how much do they have to pay? 
Do we just say, hey, don't do that again? Like you tell a child? Do we curse them also? Do we beat them for that? If we beat them, we have physical punishment. How much? How much do we beat them? Maybe we just kill people. Do we kill people for stealing things? There are countries in the world where it's a capital punishment to sell drugs. In America, it's different. They destroy someone's life and put them in prison their whole life. In some places, they send them to rehab. Which one is the law? Or perhaps there are different types of consequences for different types of people who damage things. You know, damaging someone's car may be different than damaging their home. It might be different than damaging a person. And therefore the divine messengers came we're on page the last page and they gave they assigned to each uh, uh, problem to each crime a fitting consequence and we compare them to each other and some of them are just financial penalties I mean everything has a rule has a set standard because of these things. And because for, for these details, for this clarity, we needed divine messengers. Because if this is all just do whatever your mind tells you you should do, the whole world would disagree about what is proper. And we would never ever reach a conclusion that all of humanity could agree on. And obviously the divine ones, it's already like what we explained. Says of Sadegon, what kind of chaos would exist in the world if we all just, hey, we'll just do what's right. Just be a good person. Okay, let's try this. Let's put it in reality. Okay, we're all good people. There's no laws in this country. We're good people. One good person crashes into the other good person's car. Now what? Oh, just be good. What does it mean to be good? I crash this car. What do I do? Do I buy him a new car? Do I fix the car? He's listen, I don't want to fix the car. I can't drive anymore in a, in a car that's crashed. So now you fix the car. He doesn't want it. He wants a new car. Do what's good. Just be good. What am I supposed to do with that information? How can I possibly have a society which just functions on just be good people? We hear this all the time. But there's a need for law, for order, for Torah. Even laws that are not Torah, our Chachamim tell us, that you should pray for the peace of the government. Why? Because you love the government? Because you agree with everything the government does? No. Because if not for the government, says the Mishnah, people would literally swallow each other up alive. Current events what we're speaking about right now. Lawlessness. You think that just being good people means the world to be perfect. If only we could just get along with it. If only... But guess what? People don't get along with each other. People do bad things to each other. Sometimes not even on purpose. Sometimes by mistake. So how are you going to create order in society? HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the gift of a Torah. And part of the gift of that Torah is that we have a legal tradition. A legal tradition of Chachamim, of Nevi'im, of Tanaim, of Amoraim, a Mishnah, a Talmud. We have the clarity 
we know what's right to do. We know what's wrong to do. We know when it's vague, when there's uh, every society must decide for itself what to do. But we have clarity. When someone steals from someone, we know what a person must do. When someone hurts somebody, we know how what kind of teshuvah they have to do. When someone breaks a law, we understand the consequences of that law. And that's how we avoid chaos. That's how we avoid, like before the flood, the world was full of Hamas, was full of, 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 of chaos, of evil. And to restore peace to the world means to restore order to the world. I've mentioned this before. But perhaps one of the greatest gifts of the Torah's law is that there is no human being on earth, even the leader, the ruler, the greatest ruler of the people in the world, there is no one who is exempt from following the law. So unlike other systems, where those who sit closer to the plate, those who are in the know, those people, they get off with a slap on their wrist. They, they commit crimes every day, but nothing happens to them. In Judaism, there is no such thing. Even the leaders are held accountable for their crimes. With Pinchas, remember Pinchas? Everyone gets so upset at Pinchas, who was being a zealot and how he killed somebody. Pinchas was restoring order to a Jewish community. Pinchas and his actions are, there is doubt that is cast on his actions. But Pinchas reinforced Jewish law by saying, I don't care that the man who's committing the crime is a prince of the Jewish people. A prince of the Jewish people and a peasant in the Jewish people both have one ruler, and that ruler is God. And you don't have the right just because you're famous, just because you're rich, just because you're connected politically. You don't have the right to break the law and get away with it. And it can't be that someone who's not rich, that someone who's not famous, that someone who doesn't have the same privilege that you have, lives under a different standard than you live. This is also current events. In Judaism, we have a perfect system of a Kadosh Baruch Hu's Torah. When executed properly by righteous lawmakers, we have a shiur about this from Mikhail David Alevi, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not rejoice in His law, HaKadosh Baruch Hu rejoices in His lawmakers. And if the lawmakers are corrupt, says Rav Chaim David Alevi, it doesn't make a difference how just of a Torah you have, how beautiful of a Torah you have. If the rabbis, the teachers, the judges that are supposed to teach this Torah, if they are crooked, the Torah will be the worst book on earth. But we firmly believe, says Alamban, back to our Mishnah Torah, that both the Torah, the written Torah, and the oral Torah, were given to us by Moshe Rabbeinu and Har Sinai, and our logic requires that to be the case as well. Let's finish the last sentences here in the Rambam, in back on page Lamed Vav, in the Rambam, in the footnote 6, Vav. Uv Shabbat, Lamed Aleph, and in the Talmud, Lamed Aleph, you remember? There's a famous story of a person who comes to convert to Judaism. He first goes to Shammai, then goes to Hillel. There's three different people converted to Judaism. Uh, they come to Shammai, and they teach me the whole Torah standing on one foot. Shammai chases them out, they go to Hillel, Hillel converts them and tells them, listen, the whole Torah is, don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. And then, he, this person uh, converts to Judaism, and the question is, why did Shammai reject? Why did Hillel accept? 
there's a famous story that after many years, these three Gerim, they found themselves in a hotel together. And they were sharing their life story, how they came to Judaism. And they said, The strictness of Shammai wanted to remove us from under the wings of the Shekhinah. But the acceptance of Hillel is what brought us to be righteous Jews today. Yeah, when they were starting their process, they had all kinds of questions. They had all kinds of challenges. They were, they were threatening the system. So what? Hillel saw that they were righteous people, that their potential was great, and he brought them close. He was correct in bringing them close. From here you learn, this is the origin of Maran's famous halakha. Maran writes in the laws of Giyu, in the laws of conversion, something very unusual. After all the laws of conversion, the Beit Yosef, Maran writes, All these halakhot are subjective. What does it mean subjective? Whatever the Dayan sees in front of his eyes is the way he has to rule. If the Dayan sees this person keeps Shabbat, they eat kasher, they know the whole Torah by heart, but they're a crook, they're a liar, they're just here to trick the Bedadin, the Dayan can say, I don't want you, I'm not accepting you, obviously. And the other way can be true. Like Hillel. Hillel sees the person doesn't want to hear anything. He wants to stand on one foot and listen to one sentence. But Hillel sees this person is righteous. This person, if you give him enough time, enough patience, will end up in the Jewish people, a leader of the Jewish people. Hillel has the right to do giyur for such a person because everything is based on what the judges see in front of them right now. So if a person comes to Bedin and they promise and they promise and the judges believe it's sincere, and then what can you do? A person has yetzahara. And it doesn't, it doesn't last. So it's not good? Of course. Of course it's good. It's perhaps one of the only areas of halakha I can think of where the laws are subjective. It's dependent on the dayanim. So in that story, in Shabbat Namarad of Murad, I recommend if you can to go to Safaria and look up the stories of the Talmud there. There's a famous question this Ger Tzedek asked. How many Torahs do Jewish people have? How many, how many would you answer? How many do we have? We have two. We have a written Torah. We have an oral Torah. We have two Torahs. Whoever told you the Jewish people have one Torah lied to you. We have two Torahs. One that is written, one that's a written law, and one that is an oral law. And in Torah it teaches us that two Torahs were given to the Jewish people. One was a written Torah, one was an oral Torah. This is one of the 13 principles of the Ramah. To understand that the Torah that was given to us on Sinai cannot be changed, cannot be edited, cannot be added to, cannot be taken away. We believe that the Torah was given to us with its commentary, with its explanation. And what that explanation is, how that explanation developed, that's going to be the subject of our shiurim in the coming weeks. Bezat Hashem.